Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for TSM Press Box. Opinions, analysis, and the occasional awkward silence. Here's your host, Jonas Siegel. Welcome back. Another episode of In the Press Row. A gorgeous Friday morning out here on, on the left coast. Uh, the world seems to be in a, a little bit more normal place. I Dare I say, I think we're actually hopeful uh, without getting into the political side of things. The American president actually addressed the country last night, and dare I say, he actually seemed presidential and normal. Um, I don't quite know what that means, but I watched him and I wasn't like, my blood wasn't boiling, I didn't feel angry, and I certainly didn't need either masses amounts of alcohol, legalized marijuana, or a masseuse. I'm not saying I agreed with everything he said, but he certainly did not stress me out. Uh, so hopefully everybody, wherever you are listening to it, are equally as relaxed and, and life is starting to get back to normal, whatever the F that means, right? Uh, very pleased uh, to have an awesome guest joining us who I've been hounding for months to join us. Uh, unfortunately, I think circumstances have allowed that to happen. Uh, you used to see her very often on your screens over at TSN. She is Natasha Staniszewski. And yes, I have to say it because everybody does Natasha. I did pronounce it correctly, correct? You nailed it. That was absolutely perfect. See, practice, perfect practice makes perfect results. <laughs> We're off to a great start. There you go. I, I was going to be really funny and actually call you Natasha Storm because when I start, when I Google you, that name comes up as like, yeah, I, I could see why you would... Uh, want to change the name because somebody else, you know, as somebody who has two names that properly get butchered seven days a week, I, I can see that. But uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing good. The sun is shining in Toronto. Temperatures are going up. Um, not much to complain about at this point. And how's your golf game? My golf game is, uh, well, I mean, it's on hold right now, except for <laughs> the fact that I got uh, a putting mat earlier this week, which I've never had before. Uh, my putting is atrocious. So that is my goal this year is to improve my putting, hopefully get rid of most of the three putts and uh, go from there. I broke a hundred last year, which was a really big moment for me, but now I've got to work on the putting, I think. You know, it's funny. I, um, I grew up playing golf and then I don't think I've had a lesson since I was like 13 or 14. And then with my son getting a little bit older, he picked it up. So he and I have been hitting around and, uh, I actually went to an indoor golf lesson place. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if you've done this where like you hit into a screen and you can, it's, it's digitized. Um, but holy hell has tech, like, I can't think of a game in my opinion, where technology has really advanced teaching and the ability to hone skills. I went in there and literally in an hour, I had picked up 35, 40 yards on, on my shot just by the guy showing me 
on a split screen what I'm doing compared to what you're supposed to be doing. Right. And, and, and like the, what it wasn't, listen, I'm not joining the tour, don't get me wrong, but from pathetic to mildly respectable, it was pretty incredible. Yeah, I, uh, I got fitted for clubs a few years ago. So I did that whole thing where you go in and they put all the sensors all over your body and you get to see your swing and everything and all the measurements and the angles and the velocity and everything, which is pretty cool. But I also read an article or heard someone talking about how that sort of almost not ruined the game, but like you said, it's really changed it because now they break down swings like so minutely and all of us amateur golfers, all of this stuff can get in our heads, right? All these things about trying to have this perfect swing instead of just going by feel, but that's the way it is now. You know, it's interesting because that's not what this guy did with me. He was, he showed me three things that I was doing that were negatively in, uh, affecting my game. Like one, I was pivoting as opposed to twisting my hips. Why? No idea. <laughs> Two, when I was swinging the ball, I would pull my arms in and I'm still doing it. Like, I don't know why, instead of having my arms fully extended out, as I go to hit the ball, I pull my arms in. Why? No idea. I do the and same if, thing. I think that's common. And it's just so stupid, right? Like you feel like a moron because they show you and you're like, well, of course you'd keep your arms out. And then they're videoing you in the next five shots. They like, you don't know, like I'm saying to myself, don't pull your arms in, don't pull your arms in, don't pull. And of course, like you whiff 10 times. Why? Because you're so focused on keeping your arms out. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing how we develop these God awful, stupid habits. Um, yeah. I thought I was, I was, blown away by the experience i thought it was really 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 cool what was the third thing i interrupted you oh no no zero follow-through just just oh. not finishing uh, okay. again just dumb 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 um you know i liked it because he, he didn't i didn't have to put sensors on i stood in front of a machine and there and his iphone which were used at work there's a camera yeah and he just stood behind me and uh, i did do the club selection things so i haven't bought clubs literally since 1994 oh wow just just hitting new clubs was you awesome. know arrows versus indians as the old adage goes but the whole experience was phenomenal and i i would say that i have to believe that golf town or someone else irrespective of where you are has these facilities i don't think this was anything unique right uh, it was awesome and it was not very expensive it was uh i was there for just over two hours and it was 200 bucks oh yeah that's great. I think even just like you said, just seeing yourself on camera once in a while from sort of all different angles, that alone can open your eyes to things that you might want to work on or things that you can see that you want to fix. So you grew up um, out West in, in Edmonton, mm -hmm. um, balmy Edmonton this time of year. Yes. One of the few major Canadian cities I've, I've not made it to. We, uh, we drove from Barrie back to Seattle through Canada this year and Although we made it to Alberta, obviously, can't skip any provinces. We didn't make it that far north, which I regret. Hopefully, uh, we can do it this summer. Um, and you, you played volleyball and basketball. And soccer. Yep, and those were my three, three sports growing up. So, so do you have the height for those two sports? No, which is why I was not very good at, I mean, I was, I was decent. But yeah, height obviously would have helped a lot. 
Um, but I like to think that I was more of a scrappy kind of defensive player. Um, yeah, I think I made up, uh, made up for the lack of height with my scrappiness, with my defense anyways. And was sports always in your blood? I think so. I mean, when I was younger, seven or eight, my dad put me in soccer and I was the only girl on my team at that time, way back when there still weren't total girls teams. So I was the only girl on my team. Um, and after that, like my siblings all played. And like I said, through high school, we just ended up playing everything, volleyball, basketball. My brother played hockey. Um, it just seemed natural and normal. And that's what I liked doing. And so, so you grow up in Edmonton and you end up as a seat, you know, you go through school and what have you. I understand that at some point business was kind of on the horizon, decided quickly, not for you. Wise move, I think. Um, <laughs> end up in the hotbed of Yorktown, CTV in Yorkton, Saskatchewan. Correct. What was the first story you did for CTV News in Yorkton, Saskatchewan? Oh, I don't remember the first story, but I remember there were a lot of farming stories, <laughs> agriculture stories, stories on the weather, stories on flooding, drought, cattle, garlic farms, all that kind of good stuff. So yes, my first job was uh, in news, but I tried to sort of squeeze my way in to cover um, sports whenever I could in Yorkton. They had a hockey team, the Terriers, and a baseball team. So I tried to uh, tried to work my way in there whenever I had a chance to. So you, you pivot to the hotbed of Saskatoon, and you get to, is, do I have the order right? And you get to do some sports while there, is that right? It was actually Yorkton first, and then Prince Albert was my first sports job, just a couple hours up the highway from Yorkton. So PA, uh, yeah, that's where my sports career truly began. And there's something to be said for that. I mean, I think that part of the challenge, you know, we follow each other on Twitter and you see that while I can't explain why uh, educating and being a voice for for ensuring that young people get involved in the media business, especially in sports, is important to me and what we do at, at Toronto Sports Media. Um, getting your experience in small towns is invaluable. And I, th I think part of the challenge today is that, one, those experiences aren't available. And two, as a general thought, and I don't want to paint with too broad a brush kids today aren't willing to go to the prince alberts the yorkton the saskatoons right everyone wants to go toronto or vancouver montreal or calgary and they want to be on tsn or rogers day one right how invaluable do you think it was um cutting your teeth so to speak smaller towns doing the farm and weather right <laughs> I think it was, I think it made all the difference. Um, when I was in, I went to Nate in Edmonton to get my TV diploma there. And that's, that's the main message that all of our instructors were telling us, try to go to the small towns first, because that's where you will get your experience. That's where you will learn how to shoot everything, edit everything, write your own stories. If you're lucky, you'll get on camera sooner rather than later. So they really sort of preach that. And 
I took it to heart. Um, I, it made sense to me as if I was going to go straight to Edmonton or Toronto or whatever, right out of Nate. Like I just didn't see how that would happen. So for me, um, that was just part of the process and it worked. <laughs> it was amazing. I, I learned so much and I was lucky enough that jobs sort of kept opening right when I needed them to. I was never in one place for very long. And I think when I started, started applying at bigger stations, bigger cities, news directors would see that I spent time in these small, small towns. And I think they realized that I was serious about this and I wasn't screwing around. So I think it helped me a lot. So you end up back home, 2009, back in Edmonton to your parents' delight. And you're back at CTV and you're covering the Oilers, the Eskimos. You get to do a great cup. What was it like the first time back home having to cover, you know, the big, the big game? It was really stressful, to be honest. It was really hard and stressful. And I don't know, I felt a lot of pressure, whether that was mostly probably pressure that I put on myself, but I don't think there had been any women at CTV covering sports before me. I can't quite remember now, but if there had been, there, there weren't many. I was definitely one of the first. Um, so there was, I just felt there was a lot of pressure that way. And I just wanted to do such a good job. And I, I feel the, the, the media, I mean, everyone talks in Toronto about how it's competitive here, but it's pretty competitive in Edmonton too. Um, obviously there have been some great teams and some great athletes in Edmonton. And there was um, a lot of pressure just to get the good story, to do it well, to not miss anything. So, I mean, as fantastic as it was to be at the Grey Cup and cover it, it was, it was also very scary at the same time. I'll just say that, yeah. So for the neophytes out there, what does competitive mean? What does that look like? I feel that between CTV and global, there was just a real competitiveness between the two stations, sort of like TSN and Sportsnet, I guess. There was a, a quite a big rivalry to get the better, to get the best story, to get the best scoop. And, you know, how did that affect what just added pressure to you by yourself, by your peers, by your bosses, you know, just, or just always knowing that as a newbie, I'm going to say it as a woman, as a woman newbie that you're going to have to, you know, earn your stripes. All of those things. Yep. All of those things as a woman, as a newbie being from Edmonton, originally um, the job that I had at CTV was, what did I do? I worked Wednesday to Sunday um, and the weekends I was there by myself. So I was responsible for uh, all doing all the sports on the weekends by myself, which was, really really challenging like sometimes depending on what year it was you'd have the Oilers playing the Eskimos playing the Oil Kings the Bears the Pandas they had a basketball team at one time curling plus all the national sports stories right or the like the Super Bowl or whatever so um, the weekends were really tough and to be in charge of all of that uh, I mean again I learned a ton just being sort of thrown into that um, and having to learn it sort of on the go and being tested. Uh, but it, it made me a better journalist, I think. So we're talking roughly 2010 when you're doing this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
20 years before that, Lisa Olson is writing and reporting in Boston and makes a sexual harassment claim against the New England Patriots. I'm not sure if you remember that. Um, Vaguely. Yeah, she had gone into a, a Patriots locker room and one of the players was was just very, very proud of being naked in front of her and making her very uncomfortable. Right. So my question is a two-parter. We'll start with part one. Mm-hmm. If you can go back to walking into locker rooms then and being in, you know, fields heavily dominated by men, the, the athletes are all men. Back in 2010, had things improved? I mean, obviously you weren't there when she was there, but you can imagine had mm-hmm. things in, and I'm not asking were, were people wearing towels, but you know, at a high at a higher level, do you think things had improved at all from 90 to 2010? Not now, but back then. Right. Um, just from my own experience for those sort of few years when I was going in locker rooms, I think so. Yes. I never felt, um, I mean, I always say this, I don't think men like going into locker rooms. Women don't like, like we don't, nobody likes going into locker rooms and seeing players in towels, right? It's kind of uncomfortable for everybody, but I never felt, um, I never had any situation really, nothing, you know, similar to the story that you just said happened to me. Um, I remember this, I just remember now Joanne Ireland, she was a a reporter for the Edmonton Journal and she was in the locker rooms all the time and she had been there for quite a while before me. So it wasn't new for the players to see women in the locker rooms most of the time. So um, yeah, I never had any terrible situations that I had to deal with in locker rooms, thankfully. And you didn't, so I don't mean this negatively, but your stint there, you know, as a beat reporter, if you will, was fairly short because you then you know, as I understand it, Mark Millier was looking for somebody to help fill Jennifer Hedger's role as she was out on mat leaving, and you got the awesome call to to fill in, which led to a full time gig. Mm-hmm. So that that whole experience was relatively short lived for you. Is that right? Well, it was exactly two years that I was in Edmonton, which you're right in the grand scheme of things, actually isn't that long. So except for from November to March, where those three or four months seems like six or seven years. <laughs> That's what hockey's for. Hockey gets That's right. me through. That's uh-huh. what got me through. Um, so, so when you were, when you moved to, so does that, what brought you to Toronto? That move? That move. Yeah. I actually had never aspired to work at TSN or Toronto. I, my goal when I was going to Nate was just to get back to Edmonton and to cover the teams there, the, to cover the teams that I grew up watching. So Um, When TSN came calling, I was a little bit, well, I was very unsure about what I should do. I wasn't sure that's where I wanted to be, but um, it just became clear that it was way too good of an opportunity to say no to. So I said, yes. So you, you get the, the Matt Phil role Mm -hmm. and then you get your own weekend gig. Um, roughly 2011 what was that like making the change from as i'm going to call it beat reporter to in-studio host it was at first i felt um so lazy because the workload was so much less 
as an anchor in TSN, because you have so many people helping you. Obviously I'm not the one shooting the highlights or writing them or editing or, you know, doing my own lineup and stuff like that. You have people to help you with all of that. So at first it was, it was strange um, just to be able to focus on anchoring and that's it. And it was kind of awesome. It was nice to just be able to focus on that and not worry about um, all those other things. So, um, I mean, again, it was, it was tough. There were a lot of, there were a lot of things that, I mean, the, the whole reason I never really thought I would work at TSN was because I didn't feel that I knew enough about sports. I wasn't sure I knew enough about the NFL or baseball, that kind of stuff. So there was a huge, um, not huge, but a, a decent learning curve with that kind of stuff. But I did, I loved anchoring. Like there was no question that I loved being on set. So what did you do to fill the gap? How did you, for lack of a better word, learn? you literally study it like anything else. You know, I feel like I tried to watch as many sports shows as I could. I tried to read as many articles as I could, listen to radio shows, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's tough because some things you, it's, you know, growing up in Edmonton, I know so many things about the Oilers that the average hockey fan wouldn't know just because I was there and I was younger and I sort of lived it. So to sort of something like the NFL, which has, you know, such a rich history you can learn about sort of all the current things going on but it's tougher with some of the historical things so it does it does take a while to learn all that stuff I'm still learning you're always learning that kind of stuff right it's an ongoing process so at some point you're you're co-hosting weekends with with Brian Murdick and Murdick sorry And I, and I said to you off air, I got to ask you a funny question. And I said, no, no, let's do it on air because it's actually very funny. Yeah, I know what it's going to be, I think, anyways, but go ahead. <laughs> well, if you, it's really like we live in an awful world because the minute you type in your name, if you use Google and, and autofill, various things immediately pop up. Right. So you'll be happy to know the first one is salary. The second one is net worth. Congratulations. You're, you're, you're very wealthy. That's awesome. Oh, it's, good that the whole, it's good that the whole world knows that. <laughs> I, have I haven't looked at that for a while. I'm curious to see what my, what the figure so, is. So in doing research, you know, you start clicking around and I have your Wikipedia page here and under personal life, that, I hate to say it, you're pretty boring. Yeah. Congratulations. There's not much there. Um but you start clicking around these sites that say, you know, how much you're worth. And there's a lot of them. It's really pathetic. Um, but a lot of them list Brian as your spouse. <laughs> and, and, and doing a little bit of detective work, the Inspector Clouseau that I tend to be, um, it, it seems like it all comes back to a social media posting where you called him your work husband. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's all it was I think we may have even spoken about it on the air um but just the fact that we were a team at that point working all the weekends together um I think he called me his work wife and I called him my work husband but yes people obviously misinterpreted that and quite a few people it seems out there think that we are married which we are not not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> no, we are very good friends. I was going to say actually about Brian, it's really funny with him because when I tried to get into journal journalism school in Edmonton, one of the things you had to do was sort of a career search 
or a, a job shadow, sorry. So I went to CTV and Brian was working at CTV at that time. So I actually job shadowed him for a few weeks or months just to get into Nate. And then he was the very first person at TSN that I ended up anchoring with. So it was a pretty cool full circle moment. It's just, it's just hilarious. Like the world we live in and, and like you, after we're done, you should Google yourself because there's about 15, 20 sites that are, that list you definitively as a couple. Well, people have DM'd me on Instagram and Twitter asking me, am I married to Brian? I, yeah. I don't know. I feel like one person started it and somehow people just kind of grab that and they've it's run pretty, it. <laughs> It's but pretty funny. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we're definitely not married. So you you get punted away from Brian, and you end up co-hosting with Kate, um, which which was notorious, you know, to the extent that that is a positive word, mm -hmm. um, because you're the first two female co-hosts of that show. What was that like? It was great. It was. Um, I mean, I think it was clear that we had chemistry. We got along well. Um, I think we sort of balanced each other out and people seemed to like watching us. And I know people always bring it up that we were the first, you know, all female sports center team, but at the time and in the moment, and even now it doesn't, that was not really at the front of our minds while we were doing it it was just here's another person and we have good chemistry and obviously we can anchor this show we're qualified and so here we go let's do it when you go through school and you get training and you get mentored by people along the way you know the whole update desk highlight shows really came to fruition with nick charles and um What's his name on, on, uh, on uh, CNN had a show, Nick Charles, and I cannot remember his co-host name, I'm drawing a blank, but Van Wright was there, you know, Chris Berman, ESPN, Dan Patrick, Keith Oberman, um, and then I came across the border to Canada. A lot of what made those shows successful, pre-YouTube, pre-social media, of course, was a, an equal part shtick versus sports. When you when you learn the trade, how important is the? Sh you got to know your sports. Like you have to be able to come across as being competent and knowledgeable, mm -hmm. for sure. Because if you're calling, you know, touchdowns, goals, you know, you're gonna look stupid and you're gonna get sniffed out pretty quickly. Right. But the shtick side of it. How important is that? How is that taught as, again, as you, as you work through it, you know, is that something that you're, that you're ingrained in, like you better figure something out in order to compete? It's a great question. And I'm not sure I was ever taught sort of about the shtick part or even was really aware of it as weird as that sounds or as bad as that sounds. Maybe I just, I was just, I was more about the sports. I just wanted to read the highlights and that was it. I don't think I'm, you know, when it comes to shtick, I, I think you could say Kate was sort of more the shtick part than I am. That's, she's just, that's how she is. She's naturally funny. She can tell jokes like that. I'm not really like that. I'm funny, but in a different way. And I think 
sort of the longer I worked at Sports Center, the more I I tried to just kind of relax, I guess, and just be myself up there, be more comfortable and casual and make it more of a conversation with people watching, not necessarily just reading the scores and the highlights. Um, my former boss at TSN always said that he liked to hire people uh, that he thought that the audience would want to sit down after the game and have a beer with. So I think that was sort of the approach I take, but I didn't try to be overly funny or anything like that because that's just not who I am. So yeah, you know, so audience, you've now heard it her first. Natasha has declared that she is not funny. Well, I I mean, I remember working um, when Jay and Dan when I first started at TSN, I don't know, 2011, 2012, something like that, I had to fill in for Jay with Dan. And that was a big deal at the time. They were the big show at 1am. And I remember I was anchoring with Dan and I was trying to be funny and I was trying to make jokes the way Jay would. And after I was just like shaking my head because they all fell flat and I felt so stupid because I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't. And it was just like, no, you have to just stay in your lane and just be good at who you are. And that's it. Either people will like you or they won't. And there's nothing you can do about it. So you did that more than once, obviously, mm-hmm. working with one or the other. How was it staying in your lane and just letting them do their thing and being authentic? It's the best. If you can find that sort of sweet spot and if you can get really comfortable in your skin, which is not an easy thing to do, right? It's it's tough when you're up there trying you want people to like you, obviously, right? So you try and figure out how can I how can I stand out? How can I make people laugh? How can I get them to like me? But I just feel like being your authentic self is the best way to do it, which is not as easy as it sounds. But I feel like if you're your authentic self, then it just allows your co-anchor to sort of be their authentic self as well. And then you both sort of shine. I think the audience can sniff out when you're faking it. They can for sure tell when you're trying to put on a show or you're not being yourself. So I think being genuine is, is usually the best way to go. So let's pivot a little bit to the business side of the, the business, if you will. Okay. So when you're there at TSN, um, how, um, how competitive it is it and, and how important are things like ratings as an anchor like how how much do you pay attention how much is it brought up what's the focus those are the types of things i'm i'm interested in right i didn't even know how to get access to ratings to be honest we as anchors some of us would always ask around like how can we see the ratings how do we know if the show's doing well or not and we were never not privy to that information, but it wasn't just easy to find what the ratings were on this day um, coming out of a hockey game or whatever. So I didn't really, I didn't really know anything about ratings, which I think, I think probably helped. I don't know. It's, it's, it's easy. I would think to get caught up in that kind of stuff. Um, So maybe it was better that we didn't know, or I didn't know at the time. I think it would, I mean, if you see that your ratings aren't good, I think that probably hurt quite a bit so um yeah no ratings but I do feel there is for sure a level of competitiveness I would say a a small one between the anchors of course you want people to watch your show more than the other show but I think TSN was pretty good in terms of everybody working as a team there were never any huge issues with that kind of stuff what was um 
the goal, when you were there as an anchor, as part of the group of anchors, was there a target? Like, was there a role that you wanted, a slot that you wanted, a show that, like, is there a common, God, I wish we could do, you know, X, or is there something you aspire to, or you just kind of, amongst not just you, but in general? So on, on the radio side, you're right. Like people want to be typically in one of the two drive slots, morning or afternoon. Mm-hmm. Those are the two prizes, if you will. What's right. it like when you're doing what you were doing? Well, I think um, sort of in the first four or five years at TSN, that that 1 a.m. time slot I was speaking about that Jay and Dan used to have in the beginning when they left, that was a very coveted spot because it got the most exposure. That show ran all night, hour after hour, and then into the morning. So that one had the most eyeballs on it for sure. So if you were after exposure, that was a good show to be on. And then of course, sort of the primetime show around 10 or 10.30 that Jen and Dutch are still in and have been in forever. That that was a big one too, but those two, nobody was going to kick those two out of their spots. So <laughs> sort of, I think it was the 1am has always been a goal. Um, but also I think hosting panels and hosting different shows. I think a lot of anchors, I think they get tired of just doing highlights all the time and sports centers. It's the same, right? Af- day after day, it's the same formula day after day. It doesn't change much, but I think hosting shows like a hockey show or you know, a basketball panel or whatever that changes it up a little bit. I think it it's more challenging. So a lot of anchors strive for that position as well. And they're not, there are not a lot out there. So that one, that's a tough one to get. Yeah. So I'm going to come back to like, so if you're not privy to ratings, when you get a review from management or your boss, it's not, it's not uh, quantitative. Well, here's the thing, Jonah. We never got uh, reviews at TSN. I've never had uh, a formal review. So it sort of became no news is good news is is what we went by. Um, You know, you get the odd comments from your boss or your the producer or whatever, you know, good show, but there was never a formal review that we had year after year. So, I mean, sometimes, sometimes you're going by social media to get a sense if people like you or not, which is not, I mean, I would not recommend that social media is, is not a great place to get opinions sometimes, but that's sort of. That's you got of, married through social media. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's right. There you go. That's a positive. Sure. Um, but you get, you know, you may not get official reviews, but. I assume that you had a contract for a term. I'm not going to ask for amounts, but I assume you had a contract that would come up over the 10 plus, almost 10 years that you were there. Mm -hmm. After you were there 10 years, when it comes up for renewal, there must be a basis. Like it seems highly unusual. I mean, unless it's everywhere that, that, that you don't, I would, they have ratings that they're using to evaluate, um, when those contract discussions is it just a matter of letting your representative handle it for you and just yeah literally. she she's nodding her head profusely yeah. for those of you who can't see that's right Natasha right now yeah let my agent handle it okay mm-hmm. that, that's very odd um 
So social media is a thing you may have heard. Oh, yeah. um, as is as is YouTube. Um, highlight shows seem to be going the way of the dodo bird. What do you think that means for networks like Rogers and TSN? I mean, both in, in radio and video, you know, there's a lot of time from in 24 hours to fill. Um, right. What do you think happens to the medium? See, I think I am sort of an oddball in all of this in that I'm sort of in denial and I I can't think that highlights will ever go away on TV. That is still where I go for highlights. I don't want to watch highlights on my phone or my computer. I just don't. Maybe it's because I'm old, older, oldish, but I just don't believe that they're ever going to completely go away from TV. I sure hope they don't. That's because you're not, you know, 16 to 18. Cause I can tell you like my son and his friends all, um, they get it everything's instant really so yeah like last night i sat down on the couch after sitting at my desk all day mm-hmm. to watch the leaf game live and he whips out his phone and hands it to me goes you got to see this and it's literally like from four minutes ago right so the game ends click um and and then with cable and subscriptions and digital you get access to every game all the time no matter where you are um here in the States, ESPN, you know, the only time something like it is ever on is Red Zone, um, which is nothing but highlights, but it's live highlights, if you will. Um, it's interesting to, to try and figure out where we are going. Um, so that brings us, I guess, to the fateful week of February 4th in, in what was a, a very difficult time in the industry, not just for you, because you were directly affected but a lot of people lost job a lot of good people lost jobs a lot of bad people probably lost jobs too but um i'll, I'll tell you that I, I had heard cuts were coming i heard it was recognizable names i think i told you this you know in in in, in our other conversations your name was not one that i had heard along the way uh had you heard drum beats I had heard that layoffs were coming. Um, I had heard that layoffs were going to be on Tuesday and Wednesday, which they were. And then I thought they were over, but then I got laid off on the Thursday. So they were clearly not over. So I heard cuts were coming. I hadn't heard about names at all or anything like that. Um, I feel like ever since I started in this business, there have always been rumors about cuts and not even rumors, but it's always happened. No matter where you work, no matter what companies for, there are always cuts, there are always layoffs. And I just, I had always thought, you know, TSN, during my time at TSN, most of, or all the anchors had been safe through every time there was a cut, every time there was a layoff, none of the anchors were ever touched. And I always thought, you know what, sooner or later, sooner or later that it's going to happen. Like it can't go on like this forever. So um, I, I mean, I didn't know it was going to happen this time until Thursday morning, but I, I did know that layoffs were coming. So were you shocked? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, as much as I tried to prepare myself, I mean, even the year before, like last year with COVID when there was no sports center for a few months, right? Like we pretty, pretty much shut down because there were more, no sports and all the anchors were at home sitting around uh, with no work. 
and I thought, you know what, we could get laid off at any moment. Like, how can we keep this up over the years? So in my head, I was always trying to prepare myself for the layoff during COVID. Um, but then when it actually happened a little bit later than I thought it would, I was still in shock. Like there's just, there's no way you can actually prepare for it. Your body is just shocked. So. And we're sitting here roughly a month later. So as we said earlier, thankfully the weather's starting to turn. Hopefully that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. If you could wave the magic wand and get any job that was out there anywhere, what would you want to do? I, as I was, sort of describing before, um, hosting a panel or hosting a show, uh, something hockey related would definitely be at the top of my list. Hockey is my favorite sport to cover and I've never been able to do anything solely hockey focused. Um, so yeah, something along those lines. I don't know if I need to get super specific about, specific about what exactly, but I think definitely something solely focused on hockey. And could you envision doing something on your own, i.e. like a, a video show or, you know, something like a podcast or you want to join something that's already established? I think I would like to join something already established. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I would imagine, again, it really feels here in the States anyways, uh, it certainly feels whether it's warranted or not. Uh, they announced here in Seattle yesterday that 9,000 fans are going to be at the opening Mariners game. That leads me to believe that the hope is that the Kraken, when they launch in the fall, mm -hmm. uh, are also going to hope to have fans in, in their stadium. I think 17 teams in the NHL are, are either at or about to have fans in, in, in arenas. Uh, it certainly feels like things are opening up, which I hope is a good sign, which I know is a good sign. I hope it's warranted. Um, I have to believe that those things happening will be good for folks like you looking for work. This is what I'm hoping. Yes, because I mean, I think in any industry right now, I mean, I've put a few feelers out there and COVID is sort of causing everyone to slow down and pause. And yeah, there's not a lot of people hiring for any job right now. They're waiting to see what happens with COVID. So exactly what you said, once we can straighten that out, which hopefully is sooner rather than later, uh, that will open things up in the industry and all the industries. So I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this. I found it um, really inspiring that when I did my Google searches, when I clicked on the video link, there's like thousands of videos out there of you baking. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, listen, I think that's a good thing, right? Like, I, I know a lot of women in sports in the role that you've had that won't go there, even if that's their thing, because they don't want the stereotype to the extent there is one, that that's really who they are. You know, the sports thing is fake they're really in the kitchen. They love baking. And, and as somebody who likes to cook, I actually found that really refreshing and, and truly authentic. So what's your favorite thing to cook or bake? And what's your best thing to cook or bake? 
So first of all, I would not call myself a cook at all. I am totally okay. a baker. Yep. My skill lies all in the baking. I've tried to become a better cook during this, these lockdowns, but so far that hasn't happened. But when it comes to baking, I mean, the thing I love about, I just love trying new recipes. Um, I, it kind of allows me to be creative and try different things. I, I think I'm pretty good at most things, cakes, cupcakes, cookies, muffins, loaves, all of that stuff. Like I'm, I'm willing to try anything. Like I said, I love experimenting and just see what I can sort of make happen. Well, I saw on your Instagram, some cookies that look pretty damn good. <laughs> and I think you were shocked by some brown sugar or caramel taste to them that was unexpected. I'm trying to remember which one that was, but yeah. It looked really good. <laughs> Granted, I've never seen a cookie unless it's like green or something that doesn't look really good, but they looked really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, actually the baking thing was, I mean, I, I love baking anyways. And when I first got onto Instagram, I don't know, seven or eight years now, I guess I just randomly started putting up the things that I baked on there just, just because, and people really they seem to really enjoy it. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to keep doing this more regularly. And I found it a good way to be sort of to have a presence on Instagram without always posting selfies. Like it was just a different way to be on there. Um, and you're right. I sort of gained a bit of a reputation as a baker and I coined this thing called whip it up Wednesday, which I've now turned into whip it up whenever. And people will come up to me and they won't talk to me about TSN. They'll talk to me about the things that I'm baking on Instagram. So it's kind of cool that so many people have, have, have enjoyed it. Well, I think it's great. Uh, and, and you have a separate, my, I think I saw you have a separate Instagram account. What's the handle on that? Um, that it's whip it up whenever. Okay. Is the handle on that one. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's great. Um, it's, it's really good to see you look well, you're smiling, you look, just like you did a show last night. Um, I discovered the awesome town of Kelowna last summer. It, it kills me that the border is closed. I mean, I can cross, but I don't want to spend $3,000 for a, a government hotel right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm hoping to get back there soon. Um, and I really appreciate you doing this. It's been awesome speaking with you and uh, hope that whatever it is that you're seeking, that you find it quickly. And uh, I'm sure you'll be uber successful at it. And if not, whatever, whenever baking is uh, a good handle and, and, and who knows, maybe that has some long-term future for you. Yes, I'm definitely keeping my options open. I'm trying to be open-minded and uh, consider everything. So um, yeah, my fingers are crossed. I have, I have a good feeling about whatever's next. And uh, thanks for having me. This was great. I appreciate it. Well, it's awesome having you. I, I will say that, again, our listeners can't see you, but over your right shoulder, it looks like you have a watermelon. I'm just curious. You have a very interesting <laughs> setup behind you, but I, the most, she's got beautiful flowers, some books, some photographs, the stereotypical globe. You know, she's showing all things off important, but there is a random watermelon sitting behind her. Oh, it's next to a bar of alcohol. Now I get it. So that's what I'm covering with my head. I forgot to move this watermelon. And literally the only reason it's here is because my condo is not very big. There are not a lot of huge condos in Toronto, or at least ones that I can afford. And sometimes when you buy things like a simple watermelon, it throws off your whole system in the fridge. And so right now it's just sitting over there. Well, I thought it was, you know, something to add to one of the 
the bottles of liquor, so you never know. <laughs> the goal is always to send our guests away laughing and smiling, and she's doing both. So I guess mission successful. I hope you have an awesome weekend. Please continue to be well, safe, and healthy. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Hopefully when you've landed, you'll make time for us wherever and whatever it is that you are doing. Sounds good. Thanks, Jonah. Appreciate Thanks, it. Natasha. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.